Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to C3 Corumbans podcast. We want you to know that you are loved by a God who is love. So good to have you with us. Why don't you enjoy this week's sermon? Thank you. Thanks, mate. Thank you for that warm welcome. Please just uh, grab a seat. You never quite know what to expect when Graham's got a microphone in his hand. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, team. <clears throat> so we had some exchanges during the week. It, he reminded me that he will be closing the service, so he will be the last one with the microphone in his hand. So I have to be a, a bit measured with what I say. <laughs> but uh, it's some of the de- dearest people to Deb and I are in this room here today, and we love you and appreciate you. There goes Mikey. He makes the best coffee in the Tweed. We had to get a Queenslander to show us how coffee should be done in the Tweed. But um, it's, uh, it's great to be here and um, thank you for having us. And it was, it's always a, a pleasure when um, Pastor Dan invites us to come and speak. Deb's speaking in a couple of weeks' time, so uh, that will be exciting. So I'm not going to share the microphone with her today because... I won't get a word in, <laughs> but, um, but uh, yeah, and thank you for releasing your pastors to go on their long service leave and uh, enjoy some refreshing time. I think they've been on staff here, is it 16 plus years, I think, and uh, they've been the senior ministers here for, what is it now, seven years, so, um, and it's so important, especially in this season, that you, you uh Release your pastors to have a break. You know, one of the, uh, the stats at the moment is that nearly, I think it's over 40% of pastors have considered resigning in the last 12 months. And so there's a, a huge pressure, a weight of expectation. And so if you can uh, help your pastors model what it is to refresh and, and uh, rebuild and just uh, take time to do that, then... Thank you for doing that and releasing your church to do that. I want to uh, introduce you to, where are Darren and Terry? I saw them. These guys, I had the privilege of marrying these guys in Canberra about, what, how long ago is that now? Three or four years? A long time, three. <laughs> but it was a privilege to marry them and theirs is a great redemptive story and they moved up to Queensland. I don't know why they went off the rails and came up to Queensland, but... Anyway, it's good to see you guys here. Why don't you welcome Darren and Terry? You should get to know them. They're beautiful people. And obviously, your founding pastors, Pastor Eric and Chris, dear, dear friends of ours, and uh, the roots go very, very deep from their legacy and their ministry. So we love you guys. And, um, and uh, I watched, last week I watched Casey and Lee do the tag team preach, which was beautiful, very powerful, and they did a great job. And where's, is Casey here today? Where's Casey? Oh, over there. Good job. I just, I loved your authenticity and simplicity and straightforwardness. I just thought it was refreshing and well done. And, and to Lee, I just, I loved, there was an authority on you. There was a, just a, the, your phrasing of how God redeems situations was, I just thought, really inspirational. So I just, I, I loved what you had to say. So thank you for that. 
I watched uh, Pastor Eric do his uh, Father's Day message a month or so ago. It's always inspiring listening to Eric preach, isn't it? And then there was Graham the other week. I heard Graham speak. So he'd just come back from a, uh, a long break, probably not long enough, some would say, but uh, he did come back, uh, did preach a message. But, um, you know, like, as, as a long-term friend, as you said, the rawness with which you shared the journey that you've been on and, you know, uh, is uh, just incredible testimony to the depth of your faith. And, um, you know, you're an inspiration to all of us. And uh, so we love you and we know the best is yet to come. But we love Graham. He's an inspiration on the tennis court as well, I've got to say, but we'll leave that for another day. So, so the series that, we're, that you guys are in at the moment is um, uh, Walking in Him Together, and it's a, a great series, and I've enjoyed the messages that I've been hearing around it, and so uh, it talks, it, it, the whole thing is about the fact that we actually can't do our Christian walk in isolation. We need to do it in the context of our of uh, a group of people, and so, um, and re- the subtext of what uh, D- Dan gave me was, um, what does it mean to work out our salvation in the midst of the body of Christ? And uh, we we kind of think the idealism in this would think that. Um, it would be the easiest place to work out our salvation, but in actual fact, it's probably the hardest place to work out our salvation is the midst of the body of Christ. And um, I read, uh, and so what does that mean? What does it mean to work out our salvation in the midst of the body of Christ? And uh, it's a great question. I read a statement recently by an Anglican priest, and he said, salvation by technique will be an increasing problem in our technocratic age. And uh, he wrote that in 1977, and he realised that we can systematise things sometimes. We have this tendency to go to the technical side of things when it's actually a heart and soul decision and journey that we are walking on. And so today's scripture invites us into a journey of um, spiritual formation, if you like, and response. So we're going to have a look at 1 John 5, 1 to 5. Have a look at this scripture, and uh, as we unpack this, I'm going to show you how this is a journey of spiritual formation uh, and a bit of a framework that we can follow. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his children too. And we know we love God's children if we love God and obey his commandments. Loving God means keeping his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For every child of God defeats this evil world and we achieve this victory through our faith. And who can win this battle against the world? Only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. What does it look like to work out your salvation in the midst of the body of Christ? Heavenly Father, this morning we open our hearts to you. We invite you to speak into the depth of our soul and who we are. Father, I pray that you would find fertile soil in each and every one of our hearts. Father, we give permission for the same power that breathed the original inspiration of the scripture to breathe something fresh in us today. And so, God, we ask as we unpack your word that you would speak to us in a fresh new way, in a personal way. In Jesus' name, amen.
So um, I did Bible college here many years ago, a year of Bible college, and I remember Chris White had a lot of wise things to say. But one of the wise things he had to say was, church would be awesome if it wasn't for the people. (laughs) Do you still ascribe to that, Chris? But uh, it was, uh, and so sometimes it can feel like that. It's like, man, church would be so good if I didn't have to talk to anybody or relate to anybody. You know, church can be messy, chaotic, frenzied, hectic, bewildering. And Pastor Eric's favorite word, discombobulating. (laughs) That's what church can be like. And, uh, but it's also gracious and supportive and forgiving and redemptive and purposeful and sustaining and guiding. And so we need to actually be able to tap into all the richness of what it is to be part of the church and the body of Christ. The, the book of 1 John that um, you've been walking through is, uh, is the book of love, essentially. And um, uh, John, who's uh, Jesus' cousin, is generally ascribed as the author. And so, um, you know, he, this book is the book of love. And I, I read this statement by Eugene Peterson. He said, the two most difficult things to get straight in life are love and God. More often than not... The mess people make of their lives can be traced to failure or stupidity or meanness in one or both of those areas. The basic biblical Christian conviction is that the two subjects are intricately related. If we want to deal with God the right way, we have to learn to love the right way. If we want to love the right way, we have to deal with God the right way. God and love can't be separated. And so I want to sort of highlight a bit of a progression in this passage that we've read out of 1 John 5. If we love God, we love his children. We love his children by being obedient. Being obedient is not a burden, and our obedience is empowered by faith in Jesus. So this passage is about our corporate spirituality, our spiritual pilgrimage together in the church, the body of Christ. And so one definition that I read of spiritual pilgrimage is the process of being formed in the image of Christ for the sake of others. That's why we are discipled, for the sake of others. As John Wesley constantly emphasised, there can be no personal holiness without social holiness. Um, Much of what passes for spiritual formation these days is a privatised, individualised experience. It does not enliven and enrich the body of Christ, nor is it vitally dependent on the body of Christ for its own wholeness. That was written by a guy who wrote Invitation to a Journey, a book of Christian formation and discipleship. The spiritual needs of the present day cry out for a strong and deeply rooted Christian community. And, you know, the pandemic and everything that has uh, ensued in the last three years or so has highlighted to me the need for strong Christian community and what that looks like. And I think it's exciting. I think we're in exciting, living in exciting days because the things that, are, uh, that need to be strengthened are remaining and are surfacing and we, we stand together in, in the midst of all of that. Um, one of the invitations that I read re- recently was that there, were, there is the practice of the presence of people. 
So we're encouraged to practice the presence of God a lot and go uh, and, and spend time and, and all of our spirituality is around that. But in actual fact, we need to practice, learn what it is to practice the presence of people. And what I mean by that is to see people as Jesus does, to, uh, as the most important thing in the world. So everything else is secondary to the intrinsic value and worth of every single person on planet Earth. And so I've heard it put this way. We need to be able to engage in the sacrament of the present moment, that we, we are with people and present to people for a reason and for a purpose. So let's accept the invitation, embark on the journey, and unpack the elements of corporate spirituality which we read about in the first part of um, 1 John. We need to love others, we need a long obedience, we need to embrace the mystery and release control. And I just want to unpack those four thoughts a few moments this morning. So loving others. The holy invitation to love always takes me out of self and into God. Because in myself, I have a very low love reservoir. But in God, that gets topped up all the time. Jordan Peterson made this statement. I was listening to some things you were saying earlier in the week. And he said, um, he made this comment. He said, most people who are atheists are that way because of a bad experience with a so-called Christian. (laughs) And then he goes... He said, even even, um, anti-theists like Christopher Hitchens, Christopher Hitchens' mother committed suicide in a pact with her lover who was a defrocked clergyman. So the importance of how we conduct ourselves and who we are affects so, so many people to love others. The intrinsic worth of every person. John 1, 12 to 13 says this, But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. Every single person, whether they're Christian or not, that we interact with is uh, designed and loved and breathed in by God. The greatest weakness of most humans is their hesitancy to tell others how much they love them while they're still alive. We did a funeral two weeks ago for the children's pastor at uh, at Monash, the church that we handed over in April this year, and the the place was packed. She'd been a children's pastor for decades, and uh, the, the lives that she had touched over that period of time was extraordinary. And yet, even in the midst of that, uh, people recorded some messages to send to her when she was in hospital and, and she was overwhelmed by the love that she felt because she hadn't felt it during the whole time that she'd been doing that, that had been limited. And so, you know, we, we need to be able to express it because life here on earth is so temporal and finite and be able to express it. And the, the um, and so, the journey of growth that we go on is always for the benefit of others. Our personal growth is a byproduct of what happens in our interaction with other people. Genesis 33:10 makes this statement. It says, "When I saw your face, it was as the face of God smiling on me." 
When you interact with people, are you looking at them and thinking, this is the face of God smiling back at me here because of what I'm sharing and encouraging and speaking into and believing in for, for that person? And it's, and it's like, I actually want my interactions with people to, to have that response, that I actually see God in that person smiling back at me and to be able to set aside all of the other things that, that taint and, and distort how we see people. And so, you know, when I see your face, I see God smiling back at me. And I want to look for what that thing of God in you is and, and bring it out and help uh, bring it out. So the practicing of the presence of people isn't always safe or comfortable. We've all got scars to testify to that reality. But it's what is the richness of life. It's the people that we share it with. And how, so let me ask you this question. How, how easy is it for you to see goodness in people, the, the face of God in people that you actually don't like? Because that's what we're talking about when we have to love other people is actually seeing God in people maybe we don't even like. So it's not about our comfort zones. It's actually way, way beyond that. Writer and theologian Frederick Buchner said this, what's friendship when all's done but the taking and giving of wounds? And as I mentioned before, we've all got scars to, to kind of testify to that. Your life as a Christian, this is Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he says, your life as a Christian should make non-believers question their disbelief. The way we live and interact with others should make non-believers question their disbelief. That's a very sobering kind of challenge, isn't it? So love others. The second thought then is, is the obedience side. So remember, we're tracking through this formation uh, pathway in that first John 5. The first one is loving others. The second one is the uh, long obedience. And the reality of brotherly love is proved by the activity of obedience. It's like I, I need to be obedient to God. And it says in that scripture that it's, um, that it's not burdensome. Obedience to God is not burdensome. Dallas Willard made this statement, the missing note in the evangelical life today is not the first instance spirituality, but rather obedience. It's not burdensome to be obedient to God, to the plans and purposes of God, to the character-refining invitation that God uh, extends to us. Most Christians find it an expression of hope or even a mere wish uh, than a statement about the substance of their lives. This is uh, talking about obedience and being not burdensome. We kind of think, oh yeah, that's a wishful thinking, but you know, to obey God is actually going to be a burden. It's not. It's actually going to liberate us, liberate us. And um, we read in uh, 1 Samuel that uh, obedience is better than sacrifice. This is an interesting scripture. Let's read it, 1 Samuel 15. Do you think all God wants are sacrifices? Empty rituals just for show. He wants you to listen to him. Plain listening is the thing. Not staging a lavish religious production. Not doing what God tells you is far worse than fooling around in the occult. What? Not doing what God tells you. Disobedience is worse than fooling around in the occult. So 
you know, sometimes we harden our hearts to the invitation to go on this journey of spiritual formation by loving others and, and, and obeying what the invitation of the gospel is into our lives. So Eugene Peterson makes this statement. He says, there is a great market for religious experience in our world. There is little enthusiasm for the patient acquisition of virtue. You know, it's... Uh, Graham and I have been friends for 35-something years, known Eric and Chris and a number of you here for 35-plus years. And, you know, that is long obedience in the same direction as, as Eugene Peterson puts it. It's, um, and he quotes Nietzsche in that book of his, which I, I encourage you to read because it's a book about the song of ascents that out of the Psalms that uh, are climbing towards um, this heavenly place and the journey that it is. And the Christian walk is a journey. But Eugene Peterson, in Long Obedience in the Same Direction, says this, The essential thing in heaven and earth is that there should be long obedience in the same direction. Uh, there, thereby results and has always resulted the long run, something which made life worth living. Now, you know, I don't want to put words into Graham's mouth, for instance, but I know he's here today because of the depth of his long obedience in the direction of walking with God. And so it's these sorts of things that, that stand the, the test of time. It's a long obedience. It's, it's not burdensome to obey God. It's not burdensome to be walking with him. You know, I gave my heart to Christ over 46 years ago. Uh, 46 years ago, I was invited to a Young Life camp, a parachurch, uh, non-denominational group by a friend. And so I went along after um, 18 months of conjoling to, to go along. And I, and I sat, it was uh, on the southern high, highlands out of Sydney, and there was a farm there, and there was probably 100 teenagers like me. I was 17 years old at the time. And uh, I listened to a gospel message by a guy who just got out of the, the Navy and uh, miraculously and has given his life to Christ and to impacting the um, next generation of kids. And uh, sitting on a bale of hay, listening to the, the gospel message, I, I responded that night on a Saturday night at Easter. And uh, I distinctly remember, you know, giving my heart to Christ. And, and a friend came and put a blanket around me because it was quite cold. And I was, I was feeling pretty emotional. I didn't really know why. And it was almost like acting out the, the prodigal son story that, pre that Eric preached on a few weeks ago. You know, the welcoming in by, by the, you know, putting on the blanket. And it was kind of like, that was 46 years ago. And it's still vivid in my mind today. And it's like, you, you know, there's so many distractions that come across our way. It's, it's not easy, I can say that. But, but, you know, if Christ is in, it, in our heart, then we love what he loves. And, and, and we go with him and we understand what it is to, to go in that, um, uh, that direction. And I've seen a lot of stuff. Even like I was discipled for the first 12 months in, in a small group situation. I wasn't part of a church. And so for the first 12 months, just by people discipling me weekly, almost daily, getting a, a walk with God developed. And then 12 months, I, I realized I needed to be part of a local church. So I joined the local Baptist church and, and, and went on from there. But, but it, it's like, you know, if we, that genuine encounter, surrender of our lives to Christ changes who we are from the inside out. 
And it's like, over the years, I've seen a lot. I've seen a lot of stuff go down, and it's, a lot of it's not nice. But, you know, I live in a state of almost constant repentance. It's like, oh, God, my heart, my judgment, judgmental attitude, whatever it is. It's like, that's part of the long obedience is, is, is living in that sense of constant, unceasing repentance and the sure and certain hope of what we believe in. You know, and that's the thing that sustains us. So long obedience. Loving people, long obedience. The third thought then is embrace the mystery. Um, the thing about church life and doing a spiritual journey with other people is it's not, there is much that we can't explain and articulate. God's ways are so mysterious. And the true faith can only grow and mature if we include elements that embrace the paradox and make room for creative doubt in, in our walk with God. Ephesians 3, 8 to 10 says this, And so here I am, preaching and writing about things that are way over my head, the inexhaustible riches and generosity of Christ. My task is to bring out in the open and make plain what God, who created all this in the first place, has been doing in secret and behind the scenes all along. Through followers of Jesus, like yourselves, gathered in churches like this one, this extraordinary plan of God is becoming known and talked about even among the angels. I mean, I don't know about you, but you probably could sit there and think, you know what, it's a miracle that I'm still in church today after all the stuff that's gone down in my life or the betrayals that I've ha ha you know, experienced or you know, all of those sorts of things. And, and it's, it's a mystery how it's like there's something inside of us that won't let go, that, won't, that can't walk away from it. And we've got to be able to embrace that mystery. If Christ is in our heart, we love what he loves. Christ loves the church. He, he, he will build the church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The gates of offence won't prevail against the building of the church. The gates of cynicism won't prevail. The gates of intellectualism or politics or political ideology won't prevail against the building of the church. The, the, the gates of secularism or the gates of deconstruction won't prevail against the building of the church. The gates of mental health or pandemics or conspiracy, conspiracy theory will not prevail against the building of the church. And so we embrace this as a mystery because we can't explain it all, all the time. We don't have the clear, articulate words or the theology or the systematic approach to explain things. But there's something deep inside of us when we're connected with Christ that we love what Christ loves. And so if there's no room for mystery in our lives, then, then we're missing out on being able to embrace the great mystery, which is walking with God. He's the ultimate mystery. And so he's chosen you and I, he's chosen the church as his vehicles to expand the plan of salvation. So if we're walking out our salvation with other people, we've got to be able to embrace the mystery that comes our way. So we're loving others. There's a long obedience. We're embracing the mystery. And then finally, we've got to be able to release control. If we allow Jesus to choose us, there is inherent in that action a relinquishment of the control of our relationships to Jesus. So we respond. And this is the essence of moving out of privatised, individualised spirituality and into corporate spirituality, that we, that we relinquish control of our life, of our choices, of our destiny to Jesus. 
We relinquish control of our life to him. Sadly, much of our Christian spirituality has lost its roots in scripture and tradition and colluded with the current culture of contentment and narcissism. Consumer capitalism is only too good at co-opting such approaches, approaches to spirituality. That was written in 1977. And we still, it, doesn't, it hasn't progressed from there today. There's so much of the current culture of contentment and narcissism that draws us away from the long obedience in the same direction with God. So when we release control of our relationship with God, to God, we discover that God responds and we come in contact with others who become agents of grace in our growth towards wholeness in Christ. And we become agents of God's grace in their growth. So we relinquish our walk with God to God. He guides and leads us and takes us forward. And then we become a blessing to others and others become a blessing to us. But we have to release control. If we're maintaining control, you know, it's, it's this sense of, well, nobody's going to get beneath my skin or invade my vulnerability. I mean, that's what I loved about what Lee shared last week. You know, there was this sense of vulnerability and, and authenticity about uh, the, her journey that there was a relinquishment of control to the grander purposes of God. Because oftentimes it fights against everything that's in us to actually to do this stuff. We, we seek justification and all of that sort of thing. But, you know, that's that we've got to learn how to release control if we're going to keep going on this corporate spirituality journey and practice the presence of people. When we release control of our relationship with God, oh no, I read that bit, sorry. <laughs> so I just, uh, um, as I draw to a close, just thinking about this sense of releasing control. You know, we, um, we can pray the prayer that Jesus prayed in Luke twenty-two forty-two. He says this, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done and not mine. And I think the sense of release gets us to that place where we find ourselves holding a cup of suffering, drinking sometimes, sipping from the cup of suffering. We find ourselves wrestling with that. And yet Jesus in the midst of that, and there's no suffering that we've gone through that Jesus hasn't experienced or understands the pain behind thereof. But he says, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. And so as we release control, we can come to this place of saying to God, I want your will to be done, not mine. And so when we think about the walk uh, the, the Christian war, walking out our faith with other people in the context of the local church. We, we're learning how to love others to uh, a, a long obedience, what it is to embrace the mystery and what it is to release control of our lives to God. Let's stand this morning. As you're standing, I'll just ask you to close your eyes. Father, I pray that this morning for every single one of us here that we will get a fresh perspective of how you see us, how you see me. And Lord, when we've allowed attitudes and hardness of heart to bring resistance 
and opposition to what you are gently nudging us into. Lord, we ask forgiveness for that hardness of heart. I pray that you, by your grace, would allow us to love others. I pray, Lord, that, that we would be able to uh, obey your word, to walk in that long obedience. Lord, that it is not burdensome, but it's actually liberating to be able to do that. That we can embrace the mystery, not have all the answers, but just love what you love. And that we would release control of our lives and our future into your hands, God. Lord, we ask you to forgive us for being control freaks. Forgive us wanting to hold on to and contain the things in our lives so that we can compartmentalise and understand how everything works. Lord, take us into those wide open pastures of, of release, of love, of obedience, of mystery, God. Father, help us see the mystery at work in our own lives, God. The fact that despite everything, we're still here. That you love us despite who we are, God. Lord, help us be able to embrace these truths and these realities. Because our formation is for the sake of others. For us to grow in you is for the sake of others. Lord, that there are people... Lord, may there never be an atheist accounted to our name because of the way we've been to people. Lord, that we would just be surrendered to you and your purposes, God. And Father, for those of us today that are here, that are feeling just completely overwhelmed by life, Father, I pray we would get to that place, that deep-seated realization that we are loved by you, that we are loved by the people around us, and that, God, you are working all things together for good. Lord, help us, help us pray the way Jesus prayed, not my will be done, but yours, God. Lord, let us lay our agendas down. Let us lay down the, the, the way that we see things should be happening and surrender to you and to your purposes. Father, I pray for those that are feeling discouraged here today. I pray you would breathe courage into their spirit. Lord, that we would have a sense of, of you know what? God's got this. It's going to be okay. Even with rising interest rates or whatever else may be wanting to distract us, you've got this, God. And so help us love others. Walk that long obedience. Embrace the mystery of the things that we don't understand and release control of our lives to you. Father, I pray you would seal it in the heart of each and every one of us here today. We would leave this place with a sense of what it is to walk out our salvation in the context of a beautiful group of people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.